Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 732 for the 26th of February, 2021. This week, stop emailing files to friends, family, and coworkers. Google Drive is one of the easiest ways to share files, and you might not need more storage space than what comes with the free plan. In short circuits, if you like the vertical tabs I described last week in talking about Microsoft's new Edge browser, but you don't want to switch to Edge, there are add-ons for Firefox and extensions for Chrome-based browsers that do the same thing. Adobe has added a powerful new feature to Photoshop, Illustrator, and Fresco so that users can invite others to edit their files. In spare parts, only on the website, COVID vaccine means office workers may soon be able to go back to their offices, but will they want to? Probably there is no company that has done more to eliminate the need for paper than Google, and yet Google senior user experience researcher Corbin Cunningham has written on Google's blog about the magic of paper. And 20 years ago, colleges began offering online classes. We are approaching the end of a year in which distance learning became essential for all colleges, high schools, and even primary schools. But in 2001, it was a new and exciting concept. Sharing files can be made needlessly complex, but most people prefer simple and easy to complex and difficult. Using a service such as Microsoft OneDrive or Google Drive makes the process as simple as possible, but as Einstein may have cautioned against, no simpler. Truth in quoting here, Albert Einstein probably did not say the exact words, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. But it is likely that he said something that had essentially the same meaning. Check out the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website if you'd like to know more. We'll leave that whole subject for another time, though, and perhaps we'll just all forget about it. Regardless of Einstein's thoughts on the matter, my preference is always for the easy method. I'm lazy that way. If there's something that I need to do frequently, I find a way to automate it. If there's a difficult path and an easy path, I always choose the easy path. There are lots of hard ways to share files. You can attach a file to an email and send it to someone. You can put it on a thumb drive or a CD and mail it or hand deliver it. Those are some of the needlessly complex methods that come to mind immediately. When you send a file as an email attachment, the recipient will need to download it and figure out where to save it locally. You might be surprised by how many people don't know how to deal with downloaded files. And if you expect the recipient to make changes to the file and then send it back to you, there's a whole new level of complexity. Sending the file on a thumb drive or a CD well, that's even worse. Wouldn't it be nice if the person you want to share a file with could just open it? And if you want that person to be able to edit the file, to make the changes and then save the file so it's immediately available to you? 
It can be just that easy with Microsoft OneDrive or Google Drive. My preference is Google Drive with backup and sync from Google, but similar functionality exists with OneDrive. Anyone who has a Google account has a Google Drive with 15 gigabytes of storage for free. That may be enough for you, because my storage requirements vary over time, I do pay for an additional 100 gigabytes of storage, that's $20 per year, and that gives me 115 gigabytes of storage. And this actually turns out to be 121 gigabytes of storage because of some grandfathered uses. If ever I need more space, I can increase the storage to 200 gigabytes for $30 a year, or 2 terabytes for $100 a year. Once you've signed up for Google Drive, it's a good idea to download and install Backup and Sync from Google. If there is any complexity, this is where it occurs. Backup and Sync can be used to back up your computer's desktop, documents, and pictures directories, and the setup procedure needlessly sends people down that road. It's fine if you want to use Google Drive to back up your desktop, documents, and pictures directories, but this is not the place to set up shares for others to use. So let's assume that you have a Google account and that you want to use it for more than just backing up desktop, documents, and pictures directories. You'd start by downloading and installing Backup and Sync from Google. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. During the setup process, you will be asked to decide whether you want to back up the desktop, documents, and pictures directories. You'll also have an option to choose another folder to back up. And this is where a lot of people run off the rails. Select the desktop, documents, and pictures directories if you want to back them up. But don't add any other directories here. I don't use the desktop, documents, and pictures directories in the usual manner, so I don't back them up. The next step involves defining your Google Drive. I have created a directory called Google Drive on Drive H. It doesn't have to be called Google Drive. You could call it Froboz if you want, and you could put it on Drive Z if you want. And by the way, apologies to Zork and the Great Underground Empire for that reference to Froboz. The point is that any file you place in that directory will be backed up to Google Drive in the cloud after you set it up. If you simply want to be able to share files with a friend or a spouse, create a directory on each computer that you want to be able to access your Google Drive directory. You can call it anything you want, but I think Google Drive is a good choice. Then install Google Backup and Sync on each of the computers using your username and password and specify that you want to use that directory in the Google Drive section of the setup. Any file or any folder you place in the new Google Drive directory will appear on all of the computers where you've installed Backup and Sync with your username and password. Once you get Backup and Sync set up for your Google Drive, files that you place in the Google Drive directory will synchronize to all of your computers where you have it set up. For me, that means files are synced between my primary computer, a MacBook Pro, and a Surface tablet. The files are also accessible from my iPad and Android phone. If you're sharing files with family members, you can install Backup and Sync on their computers and use your account so that specific directories will be synced to their computers too. You may also want to share files with other people. There are two options here. 
You can give those that you're sharing files with only the ability to view the files, or you can allow them to edit files you shared or even upload their own files to share with you. It's not necessary for the people you share files with to have a Google account, but it does make the process easier. And for purposes of this discussion, I'll presume that those you'll be sharing files with do have a Google account. In addition to not needing a Google account, those who share your files don't need to install backup and sync from Google. They'll access the files by using the web interface. So sharing starts by logging on to the Google Drive website interface. From there, you can share directories or individual files. When you open the web interface, you'll see quick access to files that you open frequently and files you've opened recently. The screenshot you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website has a folder called Bell Fountain. To share that folder with someone, start by right-clicking it and then choose the Share option from the context menu. I'll assume that my objective is to share the folder only with people I have explicitly invited and that I will require them to log in. Additionally, I'll give them only viewer permissions so that they won't be able to add comments or change the files. They also will not have permission to add files. So I start by clicking the link to modify or confirm the options. On the next screen, I select the restricted option. To change the permission level from viewer to commenter or editor, I could choose the preferred permission level from a drop-down list. To give others the right to view files, click Add People and Groups. That will display a list of people that are in your contacts, but you can also type an email address. Sharing is easier if the person you're giving access to has a Google account, but it's not necessary. Later, you might want to review who has permission to view, edit, or add comments to your files. Right-clicking the folder and then clicking the Share button displays a list of people who have access to the folder and what they're allowed to do. You will be shown as owner at the top of the list. As owner, you can add, delete, or modify files. To change what permissions someone has, click the drop-down list to the right of their name. You'll find options to set the user as a viewer, a commenter, or an editor. Editors can organize, add, and edit files. Two other options exist in the list. You can make any person with whom you have shared a directory the owner of the directory. And the final option is to remove the person's permissions, meaning they will no longer have access to the directory. The same options exist for individual files within a directory, so a user might have view-only permissions on a directory, but could have editor permissions for a file inside the directory. Forget about emailing files. Forget about using a thumb drive to copy files from one computer to another. Forget about mailing physical media. Sharing files between your own computers, between your computers and those of family members, and between you and distant family members and friends, doesn't have to be difficult. A service such as Google Drive eliminates the work and the annoyances. And although I have described Google Drive, Microsoft's OneDrive can be used in similar ways if you want to avoid Google. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. 
and so does the cat. In Short Circuits, last week I mentioned one of the new features that's built into Microsoft's new Edge browser. Vertical tabs are not a built-in feature for Firefox or Chrome, but add-ons are available to make them available. Because adding vertical tabs to Chrome or Firefox depends on installing an add-on for Firefox or an extension for Chrome, the feature isn't as tightly integrated with the main application as it is in Microsoft Edge. If you don't want to depend on a beta version browser, or prefer to stick with Firefox, Chrome, or one of the other Blink-based browsers, there are options. Visit the Chrome Web Store or the Firefox add-ons page to locate, download, and install the app for your browser. For Firefox, there's Vertical Tabs Reloaded. It can display the list of tabs on the left or right side of the browser window. The close button can be displayed only on the currently active tab or on all tabs. And when you do display it, the close button can appear on the left side or the right side of the vertical tabs. To close a tab without using the close button, the user can set the app to close when the tab is clicked with the middle mouse button, if your mouse has a middle button. An option to control how each tab's status is displayed shows tabs with new data with an underline tabs without new data with no marks, and unloaded tabs with a line through the name. Tabs do not unload automatically as they do in Edge. The user has to right-click the tab and manually unload it. When the mouse cursor is over a tab, the tooltip can display just the page title, the title and the URL, the URL and the title, or just the URL. Tabs across the top of the browser are retained, and actually I found that I prefer that to Edge's either-or functionality. For Chrome, there's an extension called Vertical Tabs. It offers many of the same functions, including retention of tabs across the top of the screen, in addition to tabs stacked vertically on the right or left side of the browser. The Mozilla extension automatically squeezes website pages when it's enabled, but the Chrome extension gives the user the choice of having vertical tabs cover part of the page or to shrink the page a bit. The text on the vertical tabs can be limited to just the title information or include additional text. If you decide to include the additional text, this will extend the tabs from a single line of text to perhaps three. Although that consumes considerably more space, it can be a helpful option. The user can also specify that the vertical tab bar will be hidden until the browser width is equal to or greater than some named value. The vertical tab bars created by both Mozilla Firefox Vertical Tabs Reloaded and Vertical Tabs for Chrome can be resized. That's a feature missing from the built-in feature found in Microsoft Edge. So, if the thought of vertical tabs appeals to you, but Microsoft Edge does not, there are options for your preferred browser. Following installation of the Adobe Creative Cloud updates on the 9th of February, users may have noticed a new icon on the user interface for Photoshop, Illustrator, and Fresco. 
The icon appears in the upper right corner and shows a silhouette with a plus sign, and it provides a quick way to allow others to work with and modify your images. This week's main article was about sharing files using Microsoft's OneDrive or Google Drive. Adobe takes that concept a bit further, and this would be the preferred choice for Adobe applications. So let's see how it works. When you have a document that you want to share with another Adobe user, you need to start by saving the file as a cloud document. You can do that using the File Save As menu option, or just click the Sharing icon. If the document is one that's saved on your computer, you'll be offered the opportunity to save it as an Adobe Cloud document. When you do that, the old document name with the PSD extension will change, the new name will be shown with a cloud icon to the left of the name, and the file name will have a PSDC extension. After you've saved the file to Adobe Cloud, Clicking the Share icon will open a dialog box where you can specify one or more people you want to be able to edit the document. After sending the invitation, you can see the names of recipients listed under the Members section of the Invite to Edit dialog. To leave the share when you no longer need to access the file, hover the cursor over your own name and tap Leave, or to remove another collaborator, hover the cursor over that person's name and tap Remove. Another feature added in the February update allows users to sync settings between machines. Some users have Photoshop installed on two Windows computers, two Mac OS computers, or one of each. The new sync option ensures that brushes, swatches, gradients, patterns, styles, and shapes are identical in both locations. The ability to sync brushes will be added soon to the iPad version, and those who prefer to have different settings on each machine can simply turn the feature off. You won't need to synchronize spare parts. Instead, just pop over to the TechPiter Worldwide website, and this week you'll find these articles. COVID vaccine means office workers may soon be able to go back to their offices, but will they want to? Probably there is no company that has done more to eliminate the need for paper than Google, and yet senior user experience researcher Corbin Cunningham has written on Google's blog about the magic of paper. And 20 years ago, colleges had begun offering online classes. We are now approaching the end of a year in which distance learning became essential for all colleges, high schools, and even primary schools. In 2001, it was a new and exciting concept. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.